Broncos country. Let's ride with Touchdown Denver. Touchdown Denver. Hosted by Nick Ferguson and George Stoya. Touchdown Denver. All right, guys, welcome into another episode of Touchdown Denver, hosted by myself, George Stoya of the Denver Gazette, alongside my good friend and former Bronco, Nick Ferguson. Nick, we have a lot to talk about. Uh, we went we we went off uh, the other night talking about the game on Sunday, the booing, the game mismanagement, the injuries, everything that went wrong in a win for the Broncos. And Nick, let's let's start off with the booing again. I know that you wanted to dive into that a little bit more, and we, we talked a little bit about it the other night. But you've talked to some fans. Uh, I've seen some reaction on, on social media from the fans about people booing should they should they be booing should they not be booing what have you heard from from some fans about that and you were you were there you were a fan you were in the stands when that went down yeah I was there and for, for me I'll tell you George it, it was a uh, wow and it's, it was crazy and, and I get it uh fans pay uh, to see the game it's a form of entertainment they feel as though hey I write your check so I should be able to say whatever I want to but we may have to pull back on that just a little, and here's why. Talking to some of the fans uh, uh, yesterday and listening to them on social media and kind of going back and forth with them, there are not a lot of fans who are uh, happy about the booing and cheering because uh, the conversation starts up, okay, well, what other quarterback was on the center here in Denver Broncos country and those quarterbacks received boos? Well, they say, well, Peyton Manning wasn't always as sharp as he needed to towards the tail end of his career. And I, and I understand it was the tail end of his career, but uh, he and the offense were not booed. When Tim Tebow was here, uh, he and the offense were not booed. And we already know what Tim Tebow is as a player. We know what he is as a person, but there, there's a difference between the two. So some fans are really upset about uh, the booing uh, on Sunday. And the other part of it is uh, that the adult beverages that are being sold at the stadium that some fans feel as though it is attributing to the booing. And one guy that I spoke to said he was there uh, with his wife and his daughter, and he felt as though, hey, listen, uh, this might have been the last time he attended a Denver Broncos game. It sounds a little extreme, but I can understand that because he's like, well, they're trying to enjoy the game, even though the offense has its struggles. But people are drinking and yelling and using, you know, swear words. And it's just like, well, it wasn't the right environment from for him and his family as a fan. And, and this is a person who's been going to the Broncos game for a long time. And you know how difficult it is to get those tickets for a fan to say that he's considering not showing up to another game, not because of how the offense is performing, but more so how some of the fans are performing. Yeah, I mean, one, there's no place for that, right? I mean, you've got to be aware of your surroundings when you when you go to a game, and and um, you know, you you can't be screaming swear words with kids, you know, sitting around. And I guess that's part of going to a game. And some people would argue, you know, that's just that's just part of it. Uh, put your earmuffs on. But I, I I think that obviously you need to be careful with the words you choose. I think at the stadium. But in terms of of booing the quarterback. I do think it's an interesting argument, Nick, uh, because the quarterback that they do have in Russell Wilson, you know, just left the place in Seattle where uh, obviously he didn't like the way things were going. Um, You know, he wanted out. That's been known now that he, you know, wanted to be traded. Um, You know, things weren't working within the organization. So 
Russell Wilson, who just signed a you know five-year contract, he's going to be here for seven years. Uh, you know, how's he feeling that he's getting booed in his first game? And now I think he knows that, and a lot of people know that the boos weren't, I guess, directed specifically towards him. I think a lot of the boos were probably towards the coaching staff, specifically Nathaniel Hackett. But do you worry at all, Nick, that you know if Russell Wilson's like, well, wait a second, these people don't. These people don't like me. Is he going to I mean, I don't I, I don't think this is going to happen. But do you think in the back of his head, he's ever like, well, maybe I should go somewhere else? <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, there's a possibility that uh, he, he's thinking about it. And if he's not, you know, maybe someone around him, someone in the circle that he has, because that's the one thing about being a player. It's not just you that's dealing with uh, the after effects, the pros and cons of being an athlete. Your family is as well. I mean, I don't know where his kids go to school, and I'm not saying that the kids at his school will do this, but I mean, kids are kids can be cruel sometimes. I mean, yeah. I've experienced it growing up, and who's to say that someone maybe while his kids are out, his wife is shopping or something like that, someone started to talk about uh, Russell Wilson being your dad, your husband, and how he's not performing well. So this can actually happen. I'm not saying that it's a number of fans who just. Uh, may might do this or just looking at Russell or just looking at Nathaniel Hackett. But the, 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 these are kind of the things that come along with the job. Uh, you just hope that it just really doesn't happen to you. You go out there and you perform well. And it's not as though you're trying to tell fans, and I know that's what it seems like, George, uh, how to conduct themselves. But, I mean, it is, it is important because we've seen fans kind of get unruly at sporting events. We've seen it in basketball games. We've seen it in hockey games, especially the, in the Av series last year. And now to see Broncos country respond this way, it, it is somewhat uh, of, of, of a concern, especially with the San Francisco 49ers coming in here uh, on Sunday night football. What's going to happen there? And, and, and think about what's happened to this offense and Russell Wilson. First, you play the Seattle Seahawks. They boo you there. You come back here home to your first home game against the Houston Texans. And, oh, by the way, they boo you again, right? So, yeah, it is. it starts to impact players uh, a little, maybe some more than others. But the fans are not the only ones that are uh, not satisfied with the booing. And some of the players are, are not happy with it as well. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting to hear what – some of these guys say going forward because it you know it, it is just one game and and maybe the crowd doesn't boo next week especially if they if they go out and play well they're not going to get booed right uh but i do think it, it was interesting to hear some of the players post game in the locker room talk about hey they love you they hate you um you know we just have to play our game and focus on our thing and then you know you hear nathaniel hackett yesterday on monday uh talk a little bit about the booing and he said you know we we have to uh, we love our crowd. They're, they're awesome. And we have to just kind of do our thing because clearly they were frustrated yesterday. And so were we. Um, and so, I, you know, I'm interested to see how they handle that. And again, it, it's interesting for Russell Wilson, one, like you said, to be booed both places. But it's really interesting for Nathaniel Hackett, because when he came here, a lot of people were really fired up about that hire. And a lot of people were on his side. And, and I think the honeymoon is officially over, Nick. Uh, for Nathaniel Hackett, and, and I think rightfully so, right? I, I think that they want to see him become a better coach. What did you maybe take away? I don't know if you got a chance to watch his press conference yesterday, but I thought he had a different mood. He was much more, you know, typically Nathaniel gets up there and he's making jokes, having a good time, 
he was he was much more uh i would say subdued um you know i think that you could tell he's a little bit you know frustrated with the way that he's coached and he's performed he talked a lot about that saying that he has to improve as a game manager and head coach which we we talked a lot about what did you maybe take away from his press conference yesterday well the first thing that i took away george is uh this is uh, ideally uh, when we look at the situation a, a different regime than we saw over the past three years and here's what i mean by that uh, on the vic fangio anytime something went wrong it was always someone else's fault, not Vic Fangio. And he was always pointing the finger at maybe another coach, like in the case of Rich Gangarello, or having something to do with a player. But he never really stood up there as a head coach and said, okay, well, hey, look, the buck stops with me. If they're not getting it done offensively or defensively, that's on me because I'm the head coach. Now, the offense is, is having a couple of struggles early on. And one thing for Nathaniel Hackett, he, he's standing up there and he's owning up to it. That was kind of one of the first things that he said when he first arrived here as a head coach. It's going to be about accountability and responsibility. And he's doing just that. Now, we're still waiting for as a fan base to see that improvement on the field. But I like the idea of the head coach going up there, owning up to what is happening on the field, because that, that's what happens when you're a coach. The buck stops with you as a head coach. And you talked about earlier the expectations of not just his coaching staff, but Nathaniel Hackett when he was hired. Okay, why did the Broncos hire you over Dan Quinn and everyone else who they interviewed? There was a reason. And for me, it was that accountability standing up there. And I I know it, it is really frustrating for Broncos fans to see the offense not go out there and compete on the level that they feel as though they can but also uh, the fans wanting, you know, Daniel Hackett to go forward on, on multiple fourth downs. And as a coach, you, you can't do this because you know this, George, this isn't John Madden football. You can't, you can't pull uh, Brandon Staley and go for an every fourth down possession. And, and I know as fans, you're like, go for, we can do that. No, you have to learn how to manage games. And right now the execution isn't where it needs to be. But I like the fact that, you know, Nathaniel Hackett, every time he's up there at the podium, he is taking the onus on himself and saying, well, th- this is on me. I need to get better. And if the players don't perform, then that means that's something that I didn't do to prepare them during the week. Yeah, and I think that goes a long way in the locker room, right? I think that guys appreciate that from Nathaniel Hackett because the reality is, Nick, they know that he probably hasn't had the best you know, two games as a head coach. I mean, th- these players aren't stupid. They, they, they understand that. They know why the crowd is booing, and, and they understand that you know, they probably should have gone for it on fourth and five instead of kicking 64 yard field goal. And they shouldn't be getting delay of game penalties and those sorts of things. And so I, I think that him getting up there and and really apologizing and saying that he has to be better, I think is 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 a good sign for the locker room, too. Right. I mean, we heard Russell Wilson, you know, that, you know, after the game the other day, say that he still believes in Nathaniel Hackett. And I would say Russell Wilson probably speaks for most of that locker room. And, and I Again, maybe you have some some better perspective on this in terms of playing, but you know when a coach gets up there and says that, I, I just feel like maybe it does go a long way with the players. And that that at the end of the day is the ultimate group he has to win over, right? As the head coach, it's not so much the fan base as much as as much as it is the locker room. Because I do think there was a good chunk of that locker room they didn't believe in Vic Fangio by the end of last season, and in really even most of last season. So I think that that that's a huge part of this is is 
making sure he says the right things because those guys they they hear those press conferences they know what's being said they they read what's being what's being written so I do think that that was it's it's good of him for to get it up there and say that now that being said if this continues for an entire season and it's you know constantly Nathaniel Hackett at the podium saying hey guys I'm sorry I have to be better I think that that gets old quickly no it, it definitely does get old really really quickly and and listen the players and the coaches they want to go out and put on a great show uh, for the fans but it, it does make it tough at times when you're constantly hearing uh, the boos and, and players, you talk to them, even when I play, you always get the question, do, do you read the clippings? Do you watch uh, the news? And players like, no, I don't. You know, that's not necessarily true, George, because we are human. We, we do hear the negative things. You do hear uh, the booing. And once again, if you are not listening to it personally as a player, someone in your family is, and they're going to let you know, hey, they're saying this and they're saying that. But once again, at the end of the day, it's all about the guys in the locker room, what they think of their head coach. And there's no one that I've spoken to thus far that have said as though they, they don't believe in the coaching staff, regardless of what's happening offensively. But the players or some of the players are unhappy about the situation itself. They're saying that we're going out there. We're trying to do our job. We are healthy. I mean, we are both injured and hurt. And we go out there and this is what you give us. You want to boo us. So so it makes it really difficult. I'll put it to you this way, George. Right. What if someone, you know, comes down to your job and they're just barking at you, booing you, no matter what occupation that you do. You could be washing cars. You could be working at McDonald's. I mean, you could be working in corporate America. You just have someone on the side just constantly booing you no matter what it is that you do. Now, you tell me, would you like that? No, I'd probably quit my job. <laughs> I'd be like, all right, I'm not very good at this. I probably should quit. And that's why I'm not a professional athlete, right? I mean, that's that's the reality. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't like that at all. Yeah, but 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 you said that, okay, they're booing you in your office. Now you go to your car, but guess what? You can't escape it, George. There's a guy in the back seat and he's booing you still. Like you're standing in line, you're at the grocery store, you're, you're buying, you're trying to decide, am I going to pay for milk? or orange juice today, and the guy's still giving it to you. See, that's the whole thing. When you are a player, you can't really escape it. It is everywhere. And now with social media, I mean, it's like 24-7. So how would you deal with that, right? I know how I would deal with it as an athlete, but how would you deal with the George Story constantly, the ridicule, the criticism, the booing? How would you deal with it? You know, I think I, I, I think I would want to say something, right? Like you'd want to say something to – the person booing you. And, and, and in this instance, if I was a player, I'd want to say something to the fans. But I think that these guys have taken the right approach of taking the high road and knowing too that like, hey, this person that's booing me is also going to support me when I'm good at my job and, and I am successful. So I think I would probably end up just saying, you know what, I'm going to take the high road here and just try to perform better. And I think that's what you want to see from the Broncos this week, right, Nick, is is Hey, the fan base is upset. People are upset the way we're playing. We're upset about the way we're playing, right? Like, I think that they understand that, that they want to play better. So I think that's the approach they're going to take. But, Nick, I'm going to show up to your house and start booing you uh, every time you go do something. So uh, be prepared for that. But, Nick, let's take a quick break, and then we'll jump back into some injury talk and and, um, and some, some more, you know, reviewing the game from Sunday.
Let's ride with Touchdown Denver. Touchdown Denver. Hosted by Nick Ferguson and George Stoya. All right, guys, we're back from that quick break. Uh, Nick, let's jump into some of the injury news. Obviously, good news uh, coming out of Denver um, with the injuries to Jerry Judy and Pastor Tan. Both those guys are day-to-day. Uh, Pastor Tan has the shoulder injury, uh, and then Jerry Judy with the ribs. And it, it sounds like neither one is is very severe, um, you know, I, which is which is great to hear because, you know, when Jerry Judy went down, I thought that one was going to be a serious injury. I never really saw what happened to, to Pat. Um, yeah. You know, it was kind of an odd thing where he came out, and it looked like on the sideline I was watching him that he was asking uh, maybe to get back into the game. So I, I figured that one wasn't as serious. But when you talk about a shoulder with a DB, you just never know. Um, and, and again, those two guys are, are invaluable for this football team in terms of what they do for their sides of the ball. So, Nick, what's just your reaction? Are you, are you thankful that these two guys are obviously – I mean, I don't know if they'll play this Sunday. I would I would bet that maybe one of them plays Sunday. And if I had to bet, it was probably Sertan just because I think that – Maybe he's a little bit healthier, but that's based off just, again, it looked like he was trying to go back into the game on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely appeared that way to me. But, you know, once again, these are two athletes that uh, love to compete, and it's hard to kind of keep them out. The whole Jerry Judy situation with the ribs, man, I can tell you, man, I've had a, a rib injury before. It is not that uh, something that you want to play with. It's not comfortable. And you got to think about it. I mean, you, you breathing, laughing, all of those things actually hurt your ribs. And you don't want to go out there. You don't want to take another shot. And then now you're dealing with a more serious injury, like a punctured lung or something like that. Now, with the case of Patrick Sertan, I, too, have, have had that injury, too, as far as the shoulder. But what they can do with it, they can put uh, what, what is called a shoulder harness in where they attach it to a part of your shoulder pads and then kind of strap it onto your arm trying to keep your arm within the side of your body. And for, for me, we're going we're to need all the guys this week against San Francisco 49ers, especially Debo Sammy and Brandon Ayuk. We'll get into that more uh, uh, later on in the week. But if there was one of the two players that I, I would have to roll the dice on and say, well, there's a greater chance that they're going to play in the game, it would be PS2. But what we're seeing is that this uh, coaching staff and this medical staff they're taking a lot of precautions when it comes to players and their injuries. And think about the Justin Simmons thing. He wanted to play. He thought he could play. They're like, no, Justin, we're going to put you on IR, and we're going to wait because, uh, to me, they, they see the bigger picture. They know it's more of a marathon and not a sprint because when you look at the first two games of the season, Seattle and Houston, both winnable games, you look at the back half of the schedule, I mean, that's kind of murderous row as far as, teams who were over 500 just a year ago. So you want to make sure you have all your players, uh, I guess, ready to go when you need them to go. But i tell you what, George, the one thing that uh, I was impressed with is uh, the depth of this team and the guy, Demari Mathis. Yeah, I think he won past defense and five tackles. And, and here's what it is. When you are forced to come into a game, uh, when you're not expecting it, there's a lot of nerves. There's a lot of things that are going on. And once again, this is your first game at home. We, we know what happened in Seattle. And Damari Mathis didn't play a significant amount of uh, reps. But now you're told, hey, George Stoya, PS2 is out. We need you to go in the game. And you're like, what? Now? And in this kind of critical situation. But the young man went out there and he handled himself uh, well. And I know 
Tyreen Cleveland dropped one pass from uh, Russell Wilson, but I, I was happy with what I saw later on the game and Kendall Hinton. I mean, how great it is for him, a guy who was on a practice squad and he was elevated just in time for this game and who knew that he would have to go in and uh, make some plays for the Denver Broncos. So I'm happy for those guys. All three of those guys are going to be expected to continue to move forward and take that right step. But the guy who I was really impressed with was Demar Mathis. I'm interested in getting on your thoughts on how you felt that he performed. Yeah, I thought he played really well. Um, I thought he was really physical, which is, you know, maybe sometimes a, a trait that, you know, young players don't have as often, especially at that corner spot. But he came in, made some nice tackles. I thought the play he made, I think it was third and goal where Brandon, yeah. I think it was Brandon Cooks that beat him. And uh, he made up some ground and, and uh, broke up that pass. That was a great play. And, and, and I think the best part about that play, Nick, if people remember, second and goal, he got beat. Brandon Cooks beat him uh, and was open in the end zone. And Davis Mills kind of threw a low ball and, and Cooks didn't make the play. And it's easy for a, a young guy to maybe say, oh, man, I just got beat. Um, and, and then go to third and goal and get beat again. Right. But he made up the play. Uh, he came back and made a, a spectacular play in the back of the end zone to prevent a touchdown that really ends up kind of saving that game for the Broncos. If you look at it that way. Right. Like the way that the Broncos offense was moving. That could have been a, a huge play for the Texans in that game. So I was really impressed by him. And I talked to him in the, in the locker room after the game, Nick. And that dude is is cool as a, uh, as a cucumber. I mean, that guy, <laughs> that guy was calm. He was confident. Um, you know, I, I even asked him, I said, man, like you just played in your first NFL game. You came in and had to replace, you know, the best corner, maybe the best defensive player on this team. One of the best players on this team. Right. And Pat Sertan. And you went out there and played really well. And, and, you know, typically you talk to some rookies after they get their first game and, you know, they're all fired up and, and they're real emotional. And they're like, wow, that was, you know, incredible. He was like, yeah, I just, I went out there and did my job. And, and uh, I've been preparing for this for, you know, weeks, you know, through training camp and preseason. And Nick, you were out there. He was impressive in training camp and preseason. Had, a, had, a, had some interceptions, made some nice tackles. Uh, I think the kids got a lot of potential and, and, you know, I've said it before, but, you know, Ronald Darby, last, next year is the, the last year of his contract. And I think Ronald Darby's playing great. I think he's actually one of the more underrated players so far through two games. I think he's played played really well, really, really well at that other corner spot. But DeMar Mathis is the next man up once Darby either is gone or they move in a different direction. Or maybe even, you know, Kwan Williams goes in a different direction. And all of a sudden, Damari Mathis is playing there. Uh, I think that they're really high on this kid. And, and I mean, that's why they drafted him, right, uh, out of Pittsburgh. I think that. They were really high on him. But, yeah, I was super impressed by him. Uh, and, and, Nick, I mean, you, you know, as a young, you know, defensive back to come in and play like that, that's pretty impressive, right? Yeah, it, it is. And, and that's why, you know, I, I like the kid. It's understanding the moment because I, I can tell you this, and I have no problems with telling you, when, when I was a rookie like Damari Mathis, I mean, I, I didn't have the type of moxie that he had because there was a little nervousness that you have when you're doing something for the first time, especially when you're tossed in in the pinch and then you have to go out there and you have to execute because there can't be a drop-off. It's a little different than knowing at the beginning of the week that you are going to be counting on to start so you can mentally prepare yourself throughout the week. But when all of a sudden you are tossed in, and keep this in mind too, DeMar Mathis is a young guy, so now he has to go out there and guard Brandon Cooks, who I think is still 
uh, good receiver in this league, but you still have to go out there and play special teams. And Coach Stukes doesn't want you to drop off and say, hey, listen, I know you're out there playing defense and you're putting in a tough situation, so I want you to play less effort with less effort on special teams and give all your energy to the defensive side of the ball. You can't do that. So once again, this is another reason I was really impressed with how Damari Mathis handled the situation. And when you go out there as a young player and you play well and you make plays, your confidence level starts to soar out of the roof. We saw the same thing last year with PSU. Not saying that Damari Mathis is PSU. It would be great if he developed the skill set to kind of rival that of PSU because now it makes things that much easier for George Payton when you're trying to say, well, who are our booking corners? But you brought up something that was really interesting. You brought up Ronald Darby, and there are not a lot of people who are talking about Darby and how he performed so far this season with PS2 being out. Now he is our, you know, you could say uh, DB1 if you want to call it that. So we're going to look to him to kind of help bring Damari Mathis along, but I'm loving what I'm seeing for these two guys so far this season. Yeah, and look, it's a good thing if if you're at corner, no one's talking about you, right? Uh, that's right. typically the case. So I, I think that that's good. I know he had, I think he had a PI in the Seahawks game, but other than that, he's. I feel like he's he's had some really good games. Obviously, he needs to stay healthy. That's been an issue throughout his career, but I, I think that he's set up to have a really good year. And and you know, we saw him working on the jugs machine. So I'm interested to see if he can get some interceptions this year as well. One guy I did want to ask about, and we we talked about him quite a bit on the last podcast, but after rewatching the game, what were your impressions of Caden Stearns, especially knowing, you know, who knows when Pat Sertan comes back and how long Damari Mathis has to play, but we do know Caden Stearns is going to be starting these next three games, uh, at least for the Broncos. What did you think from him at that safety spot? I thought he did a a great job. Um, He didn't give up any explosive plays. Uh, He was around the ball. He didn't have that many opportunities to to make uh, the impact like we saw uh, last season, but uh, I would give it a solid performance. But then I go back as we talk about these guys, uh, Caden Stearns and Damari Mathis. I mean, we, we can praise them for their level of execution and production. But but to me, every time we do that, you're going and giving, you know, George Payton a data boy, right? You're patting him on the back because uh, for me, that, that's been the issue around here for a while. You know, w- what does our depth look like? Can we really keep guys? Can we draft? and develop guys and known as though our defense right now, it's kind of the best part of this team. I would say that George Payton has done a great job, you know, piecing this team together. And a lot of players that he selected are definitely, you know, showing up and showing out as we would like to to say it, but there's other guys on this roster that I'm definitely looking to see step it up and and take that uh, next step. You know, I I brought this up when I was talking about Tyree Cleveland and, and Kendall Hinton. When, when you think about those two guys, and once again, we know that Jerry Judy is uh, day-to-day. You know, what, what, what does that mean in the grand scheme of things? We really don't know. Will he play on Sunday? We have no idea. But when you, when you think about you know, the depletion of the wide receiver room and knowing as though you have Tyree Cleveland and you have a Kendall Hinton, when, when you look at those two guys, which guy would you say? And then there's a difference in the body types and the skill set. But, but if you were Russell Wilson, which of those two guys would you say, okay, well, we have to find a way with Jerry Judy being out to get that guy involved in the offense? Can I say neither of them? That really? might be a hot take. I would, I, <laughs> here, was, here was what I was saying in the press box. I'm putting Montreal Washington in the game. 
I I, oh. I I I think that kid needs to get more looks. Like I, I just think that he's made so many plays and they got him that reverse play. And what did he do with it? He took it down the field. I think it was like a 20 some yard run. Uh, I would try and get him the ball before I got Tyree Cleveland and Kendall hitting the ball. But if I had to choose between the two, probably Tyree Cleveland. Um, you know, I think that he's shown some really nice abilities, right? I think that he made two nice, really good grabs. Uh, and then people forget, I think it was a couple of years ago, you know, he came into that, I think it was one of the last games of the season and had a really nice game. I, I think that he's shown that capability. And, and that's not to say Kendall Hinton hasn't shown that either. I mean, he had a great game last year. I think it was against Dallas uh, and showed a lot of capability. But I think Tyree Cleveland is a little bit more di dynamic. He's a guy that's a little bit bigger bodied. Um, you know, I think when Tim Patrick went down, he was kind of the girl, the, the guy everybody, you know, circled to be like, oh, you know, he could be a guy that steps up in this position. Uh, and, and so I think that that's who they're going to go to. Now, I know we want to dive into after this segment, maybe some other potential targets that they could get one Odell Beckham Jr. Um, but, you know, I, I think that there's several guys that could step up. And I think one of them is Montrell. Now, it's hard. We've talked about it, Nick, a lot. When you get guys off special teams and all of a sudden they have to play offense or defense it's really hard on those guys right and other guys have to step up uh but i'm interested to see if maybe they get montrell a little bit more involved do they bring jalen virgil up i think they could have really used a guy like that uh the other day and then what's kj hamler's situation right i mean if the guy you know is having somewhat i know nathaniel hackett said it's not a setback but if he was fully healthy i think he would have played right and i think they could have used him on sunday so um let's take a break here in a, in a second nick um, and then we can jump into a little bit more of the wide receiver stuff. Um, but I, I do think that this team is is capable. And like you said, they have a lot of depth, uh, especially on defense, I think. Don't, don't you think, Nick, right now on defense, they have more depth than maybe they do offensively? Yeah, absolutely. This may sound like a cliche, but I'm going to say it anyway, because guess what, George? It is absolutely true. Defense still wins championship i don't care how many quarterbacks uh they they prop up there and say it's a quarterback driven league but those quarterbacks are neutralized by the defensive side of the ball so knowing as though the broncos have depth i don't want that depth to be tested too much because we've already seen a lot of injuries in week two but yes i mean the, de the defensive side of the ball has a, a lot of depth and we have to see what happens on the opposite side of the ball you brought up Jalen Burgess' name I mean, he could be a candidate to play in uh, Sunday night football. And I think he would be a, a great addition to, to this offense. And I like the kind of uh, idea of putting Cortland on one side, Tyree Cleveland on the other side, and throwing Montreal Washington in the slot. You're absolutely right. Montreal has done enough in training camp to deserve this opportunity. And I know, you know, just kind of talking to him and being around him at practice, I mean, this is what it's all about for him, especially – with everyone, well, not everyone, I don't want to overgeneralize, but there are so many people who were upset that the Broncos selected him and wanted to know why. We got a chance to see it in training camp. I would love to see it in the regular season and see what the kid can do. Yeah, we'll see where that receiver depth is this week, right? I mean, it's going to be tested. Um, and really, it's going to be tested all season. When you lose Tim Patrick in, in training camp, it was always going to be tested this year. So it'll be interesting to see where they go. Defensively, yeah, I mean – you know you have a lot of depth when you know your second round pick Nick Benito is not even active on game days. Yeah. 
Um, That's which crazy, was, right? It's, it's totally crazy. I mean, he's a guy that I know they're really high on. Uh, I know he's super young and making some mistakes here and there, but he's a guy that's eventually going to contribute on this football team. So for him to be an active kind of speaks to the depth on that side of the ball. But Nick, let's jump into more receiver talk uh, and my boy Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, after this quick break. Let's ride with Touchdown Denver. Touchdown Denver. Hosted by Nick Ferguson and George Stoya. All right, Nick, we're back from that quick break. And I want to talk to you about one guy in particular. We talked about the receiver depth. Um, obviously, the Broncos are struggling right there. Let's just, let's just play a hypothetical, Nick. Let's say the Broncos are without Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler again this week. If you're you know, the GM of the Broncos. Are you going out? Are you looking for a receiver this week? Are you looking to elevate people within the roster? Or are you going out looking at the free agency market and saying, oh, Odell Beckham Jr. is still available. Maybe we should sign him to a vet minimum <laughs> deal. Maybe we could get him on this team. What what would be what would what would GM Nick Ferguson do? Well, George, the first thing that I'm going to do, I'm going to see what receivers are available out there. And I'm going to see what healthy receivers are available out there. I don't know uh, your your love affair with OBJ. Obviously, it is coming through because you're like, hey, uh, a wide receiver hurts his ankle or he pricks his finger. Go get OBJ. Listen, I just like chaos, Nick. I just like chaos. Give me all the chaos. So, oh, so I'm going to call you the Joker then, since you like so much chaos. Uh, and look, I, I get it. O, OBJ is a, a great wide receiver, but we're talking about a guy with a second ACL injury. We don't know uh, how healthy he is. But here's something that may just throw a little, I guess, uh, monkey wrench into your suggestion. Uh, over the weekend, uh, both Tom Brady and OBJ was seen having a conversation because mm-hmm. OBJ was at the New Orleans Saints game. And that sparked a lot of conversation with the injuries that are taking place in Tampa. Could OBJ be headed to Tampa Bay as we know that you know Tom Brady, Brady is great at recruiting guys? So could that have been a recruiting pitch? And if so, your dream of OBJ donning the orange and blue Maybe short-lived. Well, and you know who else is available? This would Who's be that? More, this is even more chaotic, Nick. Antonio Brown. What? Uh, is... Stop! Stop, George. Again. Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. Look, look, look. Stop I'm not, I, <laughs> I, I probably wouldn't do that, but look, I would. I would maybe give Odell a call and just see where he's at. Now, I wouldn't be paying a whole lot for him, right? Because I think you're right, Nick. The injury issue is a problem, um, and I, I also think that Odell will probably demand more money than what you're probably willing to pay. But I do think that George Payton's going to be looking around and seeing, you know, who's on the waiver wires. Uh, can they go out and get somebody even Nick? And, and I wanted to get your take on this. Would you make a trade? Would you, would you look? No, stop, stop, would you, stop, would you George. Trade? I mean, you, you, you are really embracing this whole idea of, of chaos. I yeah. love chaos. Right. So, no, we, we, we don't we don't need that. We don't need to trade for a guy right now. I mean, Jerry Judy is day to day. Tim Patrick is, is, is injured. What we need to do, go out there and look at guys who have some prior NFL experience and see if we can bring them in. Because usually what happens on a Tuesday 
This this is where teams bring in players to work them out and maybe sign them to future contracts. So I'm sure, based on what happened on Sunday, the Broncos were already on it. Like, as soon as it happened, they're picking up their phone, calling agents, calling players to set things up, and players were probably already in flight before the game was even over. While the fans were still booing, those guys probably was touching down at DIA Airport for their Tuesday workout. So I'm sure that the Broncos have done their due diligence. They're looking at guys who are on this roster who they release and other guys around the league to see who can they bring in and what guys are a perfect fit for the type of offense that Nathaniel Hackett runs. Yeah. I mean, you're right, Nick. The, the reality is, is, is they expect Jerry Judy to be back pretty soon. If he misses this week, I would be pretty surprised if he doesn't play against the Raiders. And really that's the bigger game, right? I mean, we, we we've said that a few times is, you know, th- this game on every game is important, but when you start playing division games, that's when you want, those guys back. So they're not going to rush, you know, a Jerry Judy back, KJ Hamler. Um, those guys, I think that they have a lot of faith in. So I, I don't expect them to be making any drastic moves like making a trade. I'm just, you know, pitching some ideas, you know, who, who knows? I, I like to play, you know, Madden and, and be a GM for my own team. So I'm just kind of mm-hmm. trying to think like George Payton. Um, but I did want to ask you, Nick, what's your concern level with a guy like KJ Hamler right now? Because and maybe I'm wrong, and I, I'm going to say this a lot. I never played in the NFL, but when a guy goes out and plays 40 snaps one week, and then the next week all of a sudden he's not practicing, and they say, oh, he hasn't had a, a setback, I'm like, well, what exactly what exactly is going on there? And I, they said, you know, it's maintenance. We're being cautious with him. I, I just feel like if, if he was healthy, he would have been playing this last Sunday. Am I wrong in, in assuming that? No, you're not wrong in your assumption. But once again, this this – uh, coaching staff and the medical staff, they're doing a great job. And and some, you may just say, well, are they being too cautious? No, I don't believe this thing is being too cautious. But you have to make sure that you put the player's health uh, first and foremost. And, and I have to tell you, I mean, I, I played more than 10 years in this league, and that's not something that always happens. It's always, okay, well, we need to get you out there on the field no matter what, no matter what we have to do to get you out there. But it doesn't seem like that's the case here with uh, this medical staff. And if they're saying that there was a setback after playing 40 snaps the previous week in Seattle, then that means that that there's something that took place. Either there was some soreness, some swelling, some discomfort of some sort. And, I mean, I've had two knee surgery, George. And as a player, you, you want to get out there and you play, especially when you see that your side of the ball is struggling the way that the offense is struggling right now inside the red zone. So KJ Hamlin wants to get out there and play. But sometimes, you know, your body is saying, hey, man, slow down, pump the brakes. We, we, we're not ready to get out there uh, just yet. So it's about playing that long game, making sure that players are, are healthy. If they're saying that it was a setback, I'm just going to look at it like that. What the setback is, we don't know. They're not telling us. But obviously it, it was something that they felt was kind of uh, severe to not put KJ Hamlin in that situation, but would it be great uh, if he were, if he were out there? A- absolutely, because now that gives us another weapon, and now we don't have to take your Madden approach to being a GM and now saying we want to inject chaos inside the Broncos' locker room by just trading for guys who still are injured. George, we can't do that. Yeah, they have the they have the right George at GM. I think that's safe. Yeah, <laughs> not George uh, Payton, not George Stewart. Yeah, yes. exactly. Um, 
Yeah, though, look, I think the KJ situation is an interesting one just because I think sometimes we forget that it wasn't just an ACL injury. It, it, the hip, I think, has been a real concern for him, and, and that's been actually maybe the tougher recovery. Uh, and I, I think from my understanding, that's what's maybe bugging him a little bit right now is just that movement in the hip. And, and I did want to ask, Nick, should they have played him in the preseason? If he, was, if he wasn't feeling a, you know, fully comfortable and, and wasn't 100%, should they have, have, have played him in that preseason game? That, I mean, he, he looked great out there. I mean, he made some nice grabs and, and played quite a bit. But do you think looking back at that, should they have played him in that game? Well, I don't have a problem with him playing. Uh, and yeah. I'm sure he wanted to figure out, okay, well, where am I? Because you go through rehabs, months of rehab, and he talked about how he was here by himself and how difficult that is. So when you play this game, it's the mental part that you had to overcome, not the physical, it's the mental. So it wasn't just kind of more from the evaluation part of the team, but I think it was for the mental well-being of one KJ Hamler to see how he handled it, how did his body react to the number of reps that he received, uh, making that first catch, falling on the ground, being tackled, how did he get up, how did his body respond to it, so I think it was more or less for KJ. So KJ understood exactly where he is. But you, you, made, you made a great point. I mean, it's not just, uh, you know, a knee injury. It is a hip injury. And dealing with one lower body injury is tough enough. But dealing with two simultaneously, I, I, I don't even want to know what that's like, George. But I, 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 I give a tip of the cap to KJ Hamler for fighting through both the physical and the mental part of it. And, and once again, he wants to go out there. If you talk to him, George, and he'll tell you, man, it was probably killing him after Jerry Judy got injured and watching the offense struggle, saying to himself, man, I know I can go out there and help the team. But right now, my body is not responding the way that my mind wants it to respond. So we'll just have to wait and see if uh, KJ Hammer plays on Sunday, how he comes along. But at the end of the day, my whole thing is sometimes you got to protect the player from himself. Yeah, and, and look, I, we're all rooting for for KJ, I would say. He, he's a great kid. Um, you know, I think him talking about his mental health, you know, earlier in, in training camp was was an awesome moment. I mean, I think I, I think that was that was really cool for him to do. And obviously, um, you know, it was really tough for him to talk about and, and to see him struggle again this year with just injuries and and maybe having a little bit of a setback is tough to see. Cause I do think that he's a guy that could really help this offense. When you talk about his elite speed and, and what he's able to do. Um, I think that he's a guy that brings a, he could be an X factor, right? He's a type of guy that could do a lot of different things. And, and he's also a personality guy, right? Like people yeah. love him in the locker room. Everyone says he's the funniest guy on the team. Uh, and so I think that they're really hoping to get him back, you know, sooner rather than later, hopefully this week. But uh, another guy with a big personality, Nick, that I wanted to talk about before we, we get off here today, Randy Gregory. Um, he's a guy that I feel like has really brought a new edge to this defense. Uh, and that's not to say, you know, obviously Von Miller is, is a Hall of Famer, right? Um, a future Hall of Famer and, and one of the greatest Broncos of all time. But when you had a guy like Randy Gregory on that, on that edge, I, I feel like this Broncos pass rush is back again, being being really elite. I feel like we saw that this last week, and I feel like he's also added uh, some sort of a new leadership to this group. I know he was a, a leader in Dallas, and obviously had his issues, you know, prior to that. But like, you know, he was on their leadership council. He's a guy that I think a lot of these players look up to. A lot of these young guys, 
and he seems to be really meshing well with this defense. I know I'm writing about that this week in the Denver Gazette, Nick, but what what have been your impressions of a guy like Randy Gregory and what he's brought to this defense so far? For me, it's, it's, it's attitude. Uh, when we look back at what things were like under Vic Fangio, I mean, yeah, some talented players, a little inconsistency, but, you know, what was the identity of the offense, the defense, or, I mean, just be totally honest, what was the identity of the team? There was none, and that was kind of a problem. And you, you take Von Miller out of the situation, you have Bradley Chubb, and it's just like, okay, well, where is the one-two punch on the edge? Because if you go back, I'm going to start with DeMarcus Ware and Von Miller. Then it was Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. Then after that, it was like, well, what direction are you going? So Gregory brings a little of that edge back to the defense, uh, the attitude. And the one thing, you know, I know you like your agent of chaos, uh, but, you know, he brings a little chaos to that defensive line. And when I think about what the NFL is, uh, either on either side of the ball, but more importantly, defensively, it is organized chaos. So that's the way I look at, you know, Randy Gregory right now is organized chaos, the way that he's been getting been able to get into the backfield to put pressure on the quarterbacks and on the run game. It, it, it is infectious, and you can see that it is having an impact, not just on Bradley Chubb, but the other guys across that defensive line. And we, we're going to need it this week against Jimmy G and San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, look, I, I think that he obviously adds a different element to this defense in terms of just his physical size and just what he's able to do as a pass rusher. I mean, he's – you look out there, Nick, he is so tall and just so big, and and that's why he's so good at, like, forcing fumbles, right? We saw that against the Seahawks. He had another one where he forced it. They didn't get it, a strip sack this last week. But, like, he's just so physically imposing. But I think what he really brings to this defense is kind of like what you said – He's kind of just like a scary like person like I like maybe like that's just the outside perspective. That's what I kind of want to get at is like you talk to him and he's like super down to earth, really well spoken, a great guy. Like I, you can tell why players love playing with him. But from an outsider's perspective, the dude is just like kind of a scary dude. He's always talking trash to the other team. I, I think that it gives you that kind of like you said, that that edge to this defense. And they, they've nicknamed themselves right. The defensive line specifically nicknamed themselves the dark side. Right. And I yeah. think Randy Gregory is Darth Vader. Like he is like <laughs> an imposing figure that is just so, um, you know, talented. And, and just, I think that he's just like this, again, scary kind of guy. Uh, I think Draymond Jones called him a crazy mofo in the post game press conference. And I was like, that's the perfect description for this guy. Like he's just, he's, he's, he's wildly talented and, and just a guy that I think personality and edge really rubs off on this defense. So hopefully you guys can check that out in the Denver Gazette this week at some point. But, Nick, any final thoughts uh, before we get out of here? Well, listen, the final thoughts. Uh, the defense is, is playing well. I know that was a concern coming in with the new coaching staff. Uh, how well was Jura Evero going to really galvanize this defense? And those, thus far, they've done a great job. Uh, obviously, there's still more to chew on. We're going to break that down later in the week when we start to look forward to the next matchup, Sunday Night Football, the San Francisco 49ers and Kyle Shanahan are coming into Empire Field, and we'll break that down later on in the week. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good one, Nick. I think I'm really looking forward to this game. Uh, obviously, another primetime game. Broncos are in a lot of primetime games this year, which, again, speaks to the expectations of this team. So this is a big one. I think a lot of people said first three games, you want to get out of there at least two and one, uh, and the Broncos have an opportunity to do that. So, 
We'll be breaking down the 49ers later this week. Uh, but thanks, everyone. Make sure you guys like, subscribe to the podcast, uh, and we'll see you guys later this week.